Welcome to the Cherry Hills Church Podcast. To help us set the tone for the year ahead, we're in a five-week teaching series on the spiritual practice of simplicity. A simple life may feel like loss, but is actually great gain. Thanks for joining us as we learn the way of Jesus together. Wow, that was the fastest one ever. (laughs) Hey, before I get started, I just wanted to share one of the highlights for me from last week. I received this picture and this text message, you can see it here, that said, for some reason, we got hungry for paninis this week. (laughs) I just got to say, as a pastor, it's so meaningful to know the main application of my message (laughs) is getting across here, right? Hey, if you're just joining us, whether you're here this morning or you're watching online, uh, we started a new series last week that we called Simplify. Chuck has already mentioned it. We're looking at the spiritual discipline that has been practiced for over 2,000 years by followers of Jesus called Simplicity. And what we're learning in this series, if you're using your notes together with me this morning, is that while simplicity feels like a loss, it is actually great gain. If you weren't here last week, I kicked off this series with this idea that we're being flooded with every day as Americans that more is better. This myth that more is always better. The advertising industry has convinced us that we need to have more stuff if we really want to experience happiness. It could be more money, more vacations, more possessions, more success, more, 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 more. But... As we talked about, not only does Jesus warn us against that, but the research has been shown to suggest that is actually not the truth. Perhaps Jesus is right, that life, the joyful, abundant life he promises does not actually consist in an abundance of more. And so that is why we're talking about this discipline of simplicity. Simplicity can help us to move away from this myth that more is always better towards something different. And so today we're going to start stepping into what that might actually look like. How do we move into this discipline of simplicity together? And my temptation today was to start talking about some of the outward actions we could take, right? Like looking at our closets, downsizing houses, redoing budgets, all these outward things. But the truth is, friends, nothing lasting starts by doing outward actions. It's always got to start inwardly in our hearts. And so listen, if you're following on your notes again, simplicity begins in our hearts by naming our true desires. That's where this practice begins. We're going to talk about the outward action starting next week. But listen, if we don't get this set in our hearts, those outward practices aren't going to matter. Now, when I say the word heart, I'm aware that for many of us, we automatically think of like hallmark sentimentalism, right? Emotions, those kinds of things. But when the Bible uses the word heart, it is talking about the center of who we are as people. The heart is what we think from. The heart is, yes, how we feel. The heart is what directs the actions that we make in life. So I just want you to think of your heart as a compass, Your heart is a compass that is going to always guide you and direct you to what you most desire in life. In his book called uh, James, I don't remember the name of the book right now. You are what you love. Thank you. In his book, You Are What You Love, James K. Smith uses this picture, and I found it very helpful. That is our heart. 
And it's always being guided or directed, you see what that picture is, towards what our definition of the good life is. My heart is always guiding me towards what I think is going to be best for me. But here's the problem. My heart is divided. And I think this is probably true for all of us. Like I can stand up here and say to you very confidently that my heart, I want to follow the way of Jesus with my whole heart. But my heart also looks after other things, tries to guide me towards more money, more stuff, more status, more luxury, quick pleasure. My heart tears my desires apart. So it might look like this. This is the other picture that he uses that was helpful for me, right? I've got all these kingdoms out there that I'm pursuing. I've got all these visions and these dreams that I want to go after. And again, we may have the best intentions. The fact that you're even here this morning shows, right? My heart desires Jesus. My heart desires to follow him. And yet my heart also desires other things. And so Proverbs 4.23 warns us, if you see it on the screen here, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And so I'm just setting all this up to say simplicity is going to start in our heart. That is how this discipline begins. And so we're going to look at what Richard Foster calls the most radiant passage on Christian simplicity in all the Bible. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And so if you brought a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn there. If you're still getting used to where things are, it's about three quarters of the way back. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the four Gospels. Uh, Or if you didn't bring a Bible and you'd like to follow along, we always have copies of the Bible in the seat underneath you there. You're welcome to grab one of those. Take that home with you as our gift to you. We'd love for you to have that. You can find this on page 787. So let's start by looking at verse 19 together. Jesus is speaking. And he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Right away, Jesus knows one of the quickest things that is going to divide my heart are treasures, these earthly treasures. And this is why, friends, Jesus talks more about money and possessions than any other subject while he was here on earth. In fact, people have added it up at Compromises up to 25% of his teaching about money and possessions. Now, can you imagine if we started teaching 25% of our messages here at Cherry Hills on money and possessions? This would be our attendance for now on, right? Like it would keep going down. But of course, why does Jesus talk about that so much? Because he's like up in heaven going, oh, you stupid people. No, because he loves us. And he knows the one thing that is going to divide our heart the most are these earthly treasures. They're going to pull my life away from the abundant life he wants me to experience. Now, when I talk about earthly treasures, I want to say a couple things. The first thing is what Jesus is not saying here. He is not saying that things here on earth are bad, that clothes are bad, that money is bad, that relationships are bad, that any of these things are bad. We're about to do a study in Genesis right after this series. And one of the first things we read in Genesis, right, is God created the world, everything in it, and said what? This is good. He created many of these things for us to enjoy, right? Life is meant to be enjoyed here. But the problem is, the warning is, we can take these things that are good and make them ultimate, We can make them the main thing that we pursue in our lives. The other thing I just want to be clear about is what he means by treasure. 
Immediately, I think of money, and certainly it includes money, but a treasure can truly be anything. A treasure could include a possession. It can include your kids, our kids. A treasure could be your looks, your spouse, a title or a position that you have, your fashion, a job, a wardrobe, your phone. A treasure can be anything in this world that we orient our lives around. Or if you're following, a treasure is anything we place ultimate value in. It is the thing that I surround my life with, right? It's the thing I need to have more than anything else. It's the thing, that picture of the good life that my heart is drawing me towards. And what Jesus says, if you make something on this earth that thing, it simply will not satisfy you. Last week, I had an appointment for an oil change, and it was supposed to be a half hour. And you know how this works, right? You get your oil changed, and then you find out, oh, there's also these problems with your car. Do you want to deal with them now? I was like, fine, I'll deal with them now. And I'm there for an hour and a half. And I start talking to the guy at this place where I get my oil changed, and he really wanted to share with me this gaming room he had just created. And so he's talking about this gaming room, like video games, right? And so he's like, can I just show you a picture of what I just did? I'm like, yeah, let me see. (laughs) So he shows me this picture, and he has dedicated an entire room to creating this gaming system. I'm talking TVs, multiple TVs. There's chairs you can buy just for gaming, right? Obviously, gaming was this guy's treasure, Like, this is the thing he had oriented his life around. But I'm not throwing him under the bus, because I do the same thing. There are things like that gaming room in my life where I start to orient my heart around. But Jesus now goes on to give us several reasons why that is not very smart. And again, why? It's not because he wants to be a killjoy. It's because he wants what's really best for me and for you. And so we already saw the first reason. I'm just going to walk through these in verse 19. You saw it already, right? If you're on your notes, earthly treasure simply won't last. Any of you have a financial planner in this room? I'm sure many of you do. Jesus is the greatest financial planner in the world right here saying, listen, why would you invest in something that isn't going to last more than 60, 70, 80 years? When you can invest in something that will last for eternity. The truth is, if I start to orient my life around something here on earth, it's going to depreciate. It's not going to last. Now, I had never owned a brand new car in my life until 2017. You remember those days when brand new cars were actually cheaper sometimes than used cars. And so I got a brand new car. It was a Honda Accord, and I loved it. Awesome, that smell, right? You just can't replace that smell. You can't get it anywhere else. A new car smell. You know where that car is right now? It's in the dumpster because of that hailstorm that came through here last year. It got completely destroyed. All earthly treasures are going to end up in the dumpster, they're all going to end up being gone. And dead. So Jesus says, don't set your heart on that stuff that's only temporary. The second reason Jesus gives for not orienting our hearts around earthly treasures is found in verse 21. Would you read that out loud with me there? It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is what I've been talking about, right? 
If I make something else my treasure, automatically my heart is going to be drawn towards that. If you're following on your notes, Jesus says that earthly treasures will lead us astray. If your treasure is your bank account, your retirement fund, you're going to focus your heart on those things. If your treasure is that you want to be loved by other people. Now we're getting deep here, right? Some of us treasure being loved by someone else. We are going to orient our lives around trying to please people. If my treasure is my kids, I'm going to orient my whole life, my whole heart around their lives. Now, please don't mishear me. Treasure your kids. Love your kids. But here's the thing, if you make your kids an idol, the thing that you think is going to bring you satisfaction and happiness, Jesus warns, listen, that's going to lead you astray. Your kids will never fully satisfy you, right? In fact, if you make them your idol, they're going to get sick of you very quickly. As amazing as those things can be, if we make them ultimate things, Jesus warns it's going to lead us astray from the peaceful, joyful, abundant life that he promises for us. Today, some of the worst advice people give, you've heard this, hey, just follow your heart. No. As Jeremiah rightly points out in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Amen. My heart is like, don't follow your heart. Do what Jesus says when he says, follow me. Follow me and I will bring you rest. I will bring you peace. I will bring you meaning. I will bring you love. He illustrates the deceitfulness of the heart in these profound verses in verses 22 through 23, where he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? A pretty profound but simple idea Jesus is saying here, right? We all probably understand what I'm focusing my eyes on is going to realize how much light I'm actually bringing into my heart, how much clarity I'm actually receiving. You've experienced this before, right? Just last two weeks ago, Peg, we have this bay window right in our front, and uh, it overlooks the uh, front yard and the street out there. Two weeks ago, Peggy cleaned that window, and I came home. I'm like, whoa, this is different. I can see things more clearly now. However, within a couple of days, it was already dirty. And you might be wondering why. Let me show you the reason why it's dirty within a day or two. (laughs) He looks so innocent there, right? And yet, once a squirrel or somebody is walking their dogs around the street, this is what we get. Yep, and that window gets extraordinarily dirty, right? The idea, of course, is not a lesson on optics here. Jesus is saying what's going to come into your heart, what's going to determine your path, what you're going to go after, ultimately starts right here with these two things. What are you fixing your eyes on? If my eyes are constantly fixed on earthly treasures, and again, remember that can mean anything. 
right? Anything. My heart is going to be drawn there. And I just got to say, this is why the practice of simplicity is so important. Simplicity is one of the ways we intentionally fix our eyes, not on earthly treasures, but on what really matters, on Jesus and his kingdom. I love the definition we used last week for simplicity by Joshua Becker. Here's a reminder of it. Simplicity is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of anything that distracts us from them. Sometimes in our lives, we've just got to take our focus off the things we might be focusing on too much. So we remove them in order to focus on the things that we want to focus on. Where my eyes are, my heart is going to follow. The third reason Jesus gives for why orienting our hearts around earthly treasure makes no sense in my mind is the most important. It's in verse 24, which I have on your notes there as well. Would you read that with me out loud? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The real word there is mammon, which represents all wealth, not just money, all the earthly treasures we might have. And Jesus says what? It's going to be very difficult for you to do that. It's unwise for you to serve two masters. Uh, No, he basically says it's impossible. It is impossible for you to have two gods. If your God is your bank account or a diploma you're going after or any earthly thing, that will become your master. That will become your God. Or if you're following on your notes, earthly treasure will become our God. I use too many sports uh, illustrations, I've been told. So here's one for you musicians. Can you imagine this situation right here? You're being asked to play some sort of song, but the two directors are directing different songs. This is the image that Jesus is giving. Your heart cannot go in two directions. It is going to follow just one direction that you choose. Now, I don't know if you've been doing some of the practices we've been making available. One of the ones this week I had was just answering this question that Jesus asks more than any other question. What do you want? I know the right answer to that. But if you really spend time, which I did this week, answering that question, it starts to reveal things that I really want. And you know what I really wanted, I noticed this week? I wanted a life of ease. That's my idol. I just want a life of ease. I confess to you, if I could retire right now, I would, right? I want this life of ease, and yet, if I allow that to become my God, and I pursue that, I will miss out on the life that Jesus really wants for me, the better life, the abundant life, the joyful life that he has called me into. And here's the truth. Sometimes that will not be easy. It will be the opposite of that. Now, the fourth final reason, I think, in this passage, orienting our hearts around earthly treasure makes no sense. is found in verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? If you're following, orienting our hearts around earthly treasures will only lead to anxiety and worry. Literally, the word Jesus uses for worry here means you will be torn in two different directions. Reminds me of that famous African proverb. You probably heard it before. 
The man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. And we all do it. We still try. That's what worry does, right? Worry projects the worst. Worry pulls my heart in two different directions. I want to trust you here, and yet I want to control this situation. Worry loads the present with the weight of the future. Friends, you probably know right now that anxiety and worry are at an all-time high in this country. All-time. The numbers are staggering, especially with younger people. Now, I think Brian next week is going to talk about, in my opinion, the biggest reason for that. But at least one of the reasons is that is our hearts become so consumed with different things that it leads nothing to nothing other than anxiety and worry, right? We make temporary things ultimate things. And if I make a temporary thing an ultimate thing, if I make that thing my ultimate meaning, I'm going to naturally start worrying about that. Do I have enough? Am I enough? Are they enough for me? Right? We're going to start having anxiety and worry. I've been trying to look at different uh, studies that are being done for this series, not by Christians, but just studies that talk about this. And there was a study done in 2018. This blew my mind. Other than the very poorest of the poor, do you know that the bracket, income bracket of people who worry the most are those who make $250,000 up? You're like, ah, that doesn't make sense, right? No, once you get there, you don't have to worry about anything. Actually, they're worrying about more. To steal a joke from John Mark Homer, right? As the famous American philosopher, Notorious B.I.G., puts it, more money, more problems, right? And again, Jesus is trying to help us to see this. We don't need studies to prove this to us, right? It's an illusion, Acquiring more brings more things to be concerned about. And so listen, if orienting our hearts around that is foolish around those things, what is the wise decision? And this is the Sunday school answer, of course, right? How do I orient my life around Jesus and his promises? How do I keep my heart from being led astray by these earthly treasures and what they promise? In the same passage, Jesus offers two ways we can do that. And both of them will require the discipline of simplicity. So, first of all, if you're on your notes, we can trust God knows what we need and loves to provide. Now, even as I say that, it feels like Christianese to me. Do you know what that is? That's the language that Christians speak to each other, right? Just trust God. It feels so cliche to me. But before we just dismiss it as cliche, can we look at the deeper part of this that Jesus starts to speak about in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now what does he say there? He's talking to you right now. Are you not more valuable than they? How much more does he love you, those you who he created in his image, who called you to be his son and daughter, how much more does he love you and want to provide for you what you need? After all, verse 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? I love that. Because that's what we think worrying does. That's what I think worrying does. If I think, when I worry about something, I think what I'm really doing is controlling it somehow. That's what worry is. I'm going to control the outcome of this situation. Newsflash, Steve, I still haven't learned. 
I'm not in control. I am just not in control of these things. That's an illusion. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? By the way, that phrase there is just one word in Greek, and it's meant to be an endearing term to his disciples. You little faiths is really how you could pronounce that. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. If we want to reorient our hearts around Jesus, it starts with trust. And if you're following, the discipline of simplicity is a tangible way to trust that God will provide. Simplicity is the way we say no to these things, and yes to the promises that Jesus makes for us. As Jesus says, this is one of the ways that we can be unlike those with whom we live in this world. I'm getting ready to start my Christian history class again for the Institute, and I've shared this before, but maybe we need to rehear this. One of the reasons the church grew so quickly in the first century was not only their just radical sexual morality, but also their radical generosity towards others. They looked different than the world around them. And one of the ways they looked different was how they viewed their earthly treasures. They were focused on trusting he would provide. Now, I'm not suggesting right now when I say this, that we should just sit around and wait for God to magically put food on our plate, right? Do birds have to work? They work really hard to provide the food for themselves. Simply what Jesus is suggesting here is you need to let go. I need to let go of this impulse of pursuing things that I want, that I think will satisfy me, and trust that he's gonna give me what I actually need. Can you imagine parents in the room right now, if you let your kids eat whatever they wanted, and that's all that they ate, you would say, oh, that wouldn't be great. They would be extremely unhealthy at some point, right? And in the same way, Jesus is saying, will you trust your father who knows exactly what you need and loves to provide for you? He will give you what you really need. Let me get real practical about this now because maybe you believe this. How do I get to this place of trust? Trusting that he will provide what I need. I'm gonna offer you three steps. I'm not gonna go in depth in this, but the first step, and this is hard for many Americans today, is to name your reality Where are you financially, for example? That's probably the best thing. Where are you? How much money is actually coming in? How much money is then going out? How much of that is spent on what we need? How much of that is spent on what we want and don't really need? Friends, this will mean looking at debt. How much debt have we accrued over the years pursuing things that we really want? I just got to say, part of trusting Jesus is to say, okay, here's our situation right now. Here's where we find ourselves. And then that leads to the second step, which is to ask this question, how much is enough? This is on the practice guide this week. So if you don't want to ask that, don't get the practice guide. How much is enough? Like when we reach this phase, can we say, God, what do you want to do with the rest of this? I got to be honest with you. When I first started tithing, I was so proud of myself. 
And internally, my thought patterns were, well, now that I've given you 10%, the 90% is for me to do with whatever I want. What if instead of that, I said, what do you also want me to do with the 90%? I give this to you as well. And so ask that question, how much is enough? And if we reach enough, Jesus, what do you want me to do with it? Should I just assume it's to buy more things for ourselves? Or do you have something different in mind for us? And then last but not least within this whole thing is create a b- b- budget. I hate budgets. They feel so restricting. But once you name reality, you've got that figure of what is enough. You create a budget to live within that enough, and then you're free. And that's what Jesus really wants. One of the things I've loved about this church since I've been here, way before I've been here, is they care about our financial situations, not because they want our money, but because they want our freedom. And so once again, this year, we're going to have a couple opportunities. One of them is Financial Peace University. Again, I know many of you have been through this. We offer this class free of charge as a church. And if you just realize we're in an absolute mess, we would love for you. We have people who volunteer to teach this class because they would love nothing more than for you to experience freedom. If you just need a little refresher course, we also have a half-day seminar where you can attend and just be reminded of some of these things to get back on track towards trusting Jesus. Once we get there, here's the second way to orient our hearts around simplicity. I already talked about it, really. We can give our treasures away generously. Listen, when you get to that stage, like this is enough for us. The discipline of simplicity invites us to go a step further and loosen our grip on the things of this world and start giving it away. Jesus talks about this in verse 20. After warning that earthly treasures don't last, he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is hard for us as Americans. What we talked about last week, I got to keep up with the Joneses. I've got to project a certain image, or I believe what these ads are trying to sell, but I got to tell you, one of the best ways you can reorient your heart around Jesus is to start giving those treasures away. And not only is it a good way to reorient our heart, Jesus says it's a great investment for your future. You can make investments in the life that will last, that moth and rust will not destroy Richard Foster, I mentioned him a couple times this morning already. He said this, Jesus and the New Testament writers point us toward a way of living in which everything we have we receive as a gift and everything we have is cared for by God and everything we have is available to others when it is right and good. This reality frames the heart of Christian simplicity. It is the means of liberation and power to do what is right and to overcome the forces of fear and avarice. Not only does it set us free, here's what I've discovered this week. It actually brings more joy than any of the earthly treasures promised they could bring. I looked at another study, not done by Christians, done by the university in Switzerland, and they discovered that generosity leads to greater happiness. 
they tracked the brain waves of people and discovered, and I quote, that the ventral striatum and the TPJ interacted when generous behavior was displayed, as well as the orbit frontal cortex. Got it? I have no idea what that means, but their conclusion was this, and I quote again, generous behavior promises a happier life. Secular scientists affirming what Jesus and the New Testament writers wrote over 2,000 years ago. If you're following on your notes, radical generosity leads to greater happiness. I can't convince us of this, even myself. I still struggle believing that. I'm just being real. Because, man, that new bike looks nice. And here's the truth. Here is the honest truth of what happens in our brain. When we buy an earthly treasure, we get a hit of what is called dopamine which is the happiness part of our brain, right? We get a hit. The problem is it just doesn't last. And so we need another hit, like any addiction. I need another hit and another hit and another hit of that dopamine in order to keep the happiness thing going. What they discovered in this study is that when we are radically generous, it starts to create lasting brain waves in our brain of happiness. Not just the short hits, but actually changes our brain patterns. And this is why Jesus closes this passage with these famous words in verse 33. Would you be willing to read them out loud with me there? It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. One of the most misquoted verses in the entire Bible right here. Okay, if I seek Jesus first, I'll be rich. People have used this for that. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what this means. If you're following, what this means is if we seek him first, our deepest desires will be met. What are our deepest desires? I can't answer that for you. You know what some of mine are? To be loved unconditionally. To have a sense of belonging. To experience peace and joy and community. When Jesus says, if you seek me first, all these things, he doesn't mean earthly treasures. He means something so much better. I will belong to you, and you will belong to me. And with that comes adoption as sons and daughters of my kingdom. With that comes becoming a new creation, as we sang about today. With that comes friendships and meaning and a life of purpose. When you seek me first, these things will be added unto you. And so if you're following on your notes, here's the question I'm gonna leave you with this week. Will I reorient my heart on Jesus and his kingdom? I've already mentioned the practice guides. We've got some out front, out in the lobby for you to pick up if you're here. If you're watching online this morning, you can find this on our homepage. I encourage you to start, if you're really interested in this discipline of simplicity, it's got to start in our heart, and the exercises this week are all focused on that. And I really hope that these aren't just words that you sit and listen to, that you take those guides seriously so that together we can pursue his kingdom first and watch how he adds things to us that we most deeply want. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like more info on our church, you can visit our website or find us on Facebook.